reality is that all of us are a part of a fraternity of suffering of which none of us want to be members. At some point in our life, we discover that we live on a broken planet and things are not quite right here and will not be right until God makes a new heaven and a new earth. But it's funny that some churches uh, shy away from the whole topic of suffering. It's like the kryptonite of their theology. Uh, And yet the Bible does not shy away from the topic. All through the Bible, it deals with the reality that we live in. In fact, there are entire books of the Bible dedicated to the subject of suffering. Books like 1 Peter and Hebrews, Old Testament, book of Job. Last week we read from the Gospel of John that said, I want you to have peace and the Peace begins with, first of all, understanding in this world you will have tribulation. And that's kind of a a funny concept when you think about that we're going to get peace by embracing this reality of tribulation. But really that's where it begins because what it does is it gives us more realistic expectations about what this world really can provide for us. Now God can provide a lot for us in this world, but this world cannot really give us what we're looking to this world to give us. In 1 Peter, we also looked at a scripture which says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you find yourself in. And yet we are surprised. And we're surprised because some of us have the presupposition that obedient Christians are somehow immune from the furnace. And we are not. We're going to suffer in this world because of the consequences of our own sin, because of the sin of others as we live around this toxic lake. Uh, We're going to suffer just because we live in a fallen world. And we're also surprised not only because we have unrealistic expectations, but we're also surprised because we have defined success as avoiding the furnace. Uh, We we have a God who has for us defined success as becoming more like Jesus, but we're more concerned about being comfortable than we are becoming like Jesus. We say we want to follow Jesus, but Jesus was a suffering Savior, and he redeemed his suffering for us all. We're also surprised not only because of some wrong presuppositions and wrong goals in our life, but we're also surprised because we really have an obstructive view. We look at one frame of the film where God looks at the whole thing, and it's not that God belittles our suffering because he cares about our suffering. It's just that he writes a word across it, which is the word temporary. Now, that's the reality. That's the bad news. The good news is that it's not going to last forever. And that's not the full answer for us. I understand that. But is that, that's what provides hope for us. And, and beyond that, we're going to look today that God not only says that our suffering is temporary, but God says that he can redeem it. One of the great words that we have for our relationship with our Savior is that he's also redeemer. And he not only redeems us from sin, but he redeems every day of our lives when we hand those days to him. Let's look at the scripture today. It comes from Romans, the eighth chapter, verse 28. It says this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. I'm gonna just stop there and let's be careful that we understand what this scripture does not say. It does not say that everything happens to us is good. It says God causes everything to happen to us to work together good it's like he's a master chef and he takes individual ingredients which by themselves are bitter 
And he masterfully mixed them together where it brings out something entirely different. It does not say here that God causes bad things to happen either. God allows bad things to happen to us because he knows something that we don't know. He understands his ability to mix it together to redeem it. Also note here that it says that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean all these things will be redeemed. Notice what it says. It says, to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And you can be in a love relationship with God and not have the bad things in your life redeemed, recycled, converted into something good. We not only have to love him, we also have to have our lives aligned with him. We have to be called according to his purpose. Look there in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And here Paul uses the argument from the greater to the lesser. If God who created us, by the way, sent Jesus Christ to lay his life down for us, how could we ever doubt his love? You see, it is our suffering that causes us to doubt God's love. But it is his suffering that put those doubts to rest. If God didn't do anything for us but give us life and then give us new life in Jesus Christ, we would have to be grateful to him and know of his love. And so he uses this argument from the greater to the lesser. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not freely give us all the things that we need? Look on in verse 35, it says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Dallas Willard has written a book that's fairly difficult to read called The Divine Conspiracy. It's about the size of a phone book and Every sentence you read in his book, you have to read it three times to get it, but it's well worth the journey. In that book, he says this. He says, nothing irredeemable has happened to us or can happen to us on our way to our destiny. Martin Luther King Jr., I'm sure, when he was going through some of the trials that he was going through, sitting in a prison cell, could never see from that vantage point how God might redeem his suffering, and yet an entire nation was changed. Nelson Mandela suffered even greater harm and was in prison a much longer time and there's no way in his imagination he could see how God would take and leverage that to change an entire world. And it was the execution of Jesus Christ that caused the disciples to pull back and think, well, it's all gone, it's all a failure. And at that time, there was no way they could imagine that one day the execution of Jesus Christ and the day that it happened on would be called Good Friday for all time. And yet God redeems, doesn't he? And just as he redeemed their suffering, he will redeem our suffering as well. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us all the ways that God might redeem our suffering, but it does tell us some of the ways so that we can be encouraged and understand that God is working in ways that we cannot see. Consider with me, if you will, today just a few of the ways that the Scripture says that God redeems our time in the furnace. First of all, it is clear in the Scripture 
that the fire of the furnace exposes our dependencies. In 1 Peter, the sixth of the first chapter, verse 6, it talks about that. It says, And this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, when we go through the fire, one of the things that happens is that it exposes lesser gods to the extent that you're angry at God when you are suffering, to the extent that you're disappointed or depressed when things are taken from you. To that extent, you were depending upon that rather than God. And it clarifies for us what's really going on and who we really love. Is it the gift that we receive from him or is it the giver that's important? What happens when the gift goes away? See, there are people who stiff arm God when they're going through times of suffering and the reality is all in the world that does is tell us a lot more about them than it tells us about God. It tells us why they were following God, that they were using God. And the harder we fall on our face during tough times reveals to us what we're really putting our faith in. God loves us enough that sometimes he allows us to go through the fire and to understand the depth of our pain and our loss because it reveals what we've put our faith in. And he knows that those lesser gods will not serve us well. And so he exposes that. One of the best books that I've read in the last five years is a book by John Ortberg called Soul Keeping. And in that book, he talks about the real us, the part of us that will live forever, and that's our soul. And he says we need to have care to care for that soul. We care for our body, we care for our finances. There are a lot of things, our property that we care for, but he says we need to give attention to our soul, that deepest part of us. And he talks about the things that can threaten our soul and can fracture our soul. The second century theologian, Arrhenius, says that suffering is about soul-making. That when we suffer, one of the things that happens is that it clarifies and it burns off the dross and it purifies and it shapes our souls. It gives attention to that which we very rarely give attention to. The fire can be redeemed in that it can reveal unhealthy dependencies in our life. The second thing that the fire can do in a way that God can redeem it is that it can strengthen our faith. In James, the first chapter, in verse two, there's a very strange scripture because here's what it says. It says, consider it joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But let endurance have its perfect result so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Strange scripture that says I'm supposed to be joyful when I find myself in the furnace. Why? Because it strengthens my faith. Because I have to exercise spiritual muscles. And in the exercising of those spiritual muscles, those muscles become stronger. And I'm able to accomplish more. I'm able to withstand more in the future because I've exercised my spiritual muscles. Let this trial have its result, its product. And the product is the endurance the ability to wait on God, the ability to do it God's way, even though it doesn't look like it's gonna turn out the right way, and that will increase when you go through a trial. 
The winds come and the waves beat against your soul. And you grab the lifeline, which is your relationship with God. And he comes through for you. And you're stronger. When you say, if one more thing happens, we're not going to make it. And the one more thing always happens, doesn't it? And somehow you make it. You didn't think you could. You didn't think you could go through it, but you did, didn't you? God has redeemed it in that he has made your faith stronger. You exercised it, and your spiritual muscles are stronger. Paul was in prison in Philippi, stripped naked in public, beaten and flogged, sitting in a damp, dark dungeon, not knowing whether he's going to live or die, and he exercises his faith in God. He prays to God at midnight, the scriptures tell us. The Bible says he breaks into a cappella song. And by a miracle of God, all the prison doors fly open. Now, Paul would be in prison again. Do you think the next time that he was in prison, he was as anxious as that first time before he exercised his faith? Now, I want you to hear this carefully. God didn't throw the prison doors open every time Paul was in prison, but Paul knew that he could because he had trusted in God and God had come through for him. And he knew that if he needed to be out of prison, that God could get him out of prison like that. That's what happens when we exercise our faith and God doesn't always give us our wants, but God always meets our needs. He sustains us. And one of the ways that God redeems the fire is that he not only exposes our lesser gods, our dependencies that are unhealthy for us that will not serve us well, but he also strengthens our very faith. In 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, it says this, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's when we get strong is in the furnace. But you know, the fires of the furnace, one of the ways that God redeems it as well is that he causes that fire to humble us. To humble us. If you've been walking with the Lord for a while, sometimes you forget where you started. And you begin to think that you are clever and that you are slick and that you're strong and that you're smart. And the things that are going right in your life is because of what you can control. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in the fire. And you find out you can't fix everything. And you can't power through everything. And your money can't buy everything. And all of a sudden there's a great reminder that you can neither save yourself nor run your own life. And that humility does a wonderful thing for you. It drives you back to your source. To God himself. In 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, in verse 7, it says this, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation and to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me to keep me from exalting myself. These are the words of Paul. He goes on in verse 10 to say, therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul said, I'm an apostle. I saw a vision of Jesus Christ. God's used me in mighty ways and it would be easy for me to begin to think it's my intellect and my effort. And so God gave me a physical malady. And he doesn't tell us what it is so all of us can relate. A thorn in the flesh, a 
messenger from Satan himself to buffet me. Why? To keep me humble. Because when I'm weak, that's when I'm really strong. Because when I'm weak, I depend on his strength. In the same way, God has used the fire to humble some of us. To remind us where our strength really comes from. So that we would depend upon him. Another way that the fire is redeemed is many times the fire opens doors to witness. Paul is in prison that night and the doors fly open. And the jailer realizes that every one of the prisoners could escape. And the jailer pulls out a sword and is about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't do yourself any harm. We're not going anywhere. We know we can walk out of this place by God's grace anytime we want to. And we don't want to endanger your life. Now, this jailer was watching Paul all night long. He heard him pray in the night. He heard him sing Amazing Grace or some form of it off key in around midnight. And he's thinking, who is this guy? And now this guy could leave prison, but he's not going to leave prison because he's worried about me? And the jailer comes in and he says, Paul, I don't know what you have, but I want it. Because I've never seen anybody respond to the way you've responded to what's happened to you. The Bible tells us that that evening that that jailer was saved and that he took Paul and Silas to his house so they could all hear the message and everyone in his household was saved that night and they were all baptized that very night. There's a man and his family who today is in heaven for eternity because Paul sat in prison for one night. Let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to suffer what you're suffering today if you knew that one person would spend eternity in heaven and their family because they saw the way that you suffered through the fire? Would it be worth it to you? Talk about purpose for your pain. Right before this service, young man met me right here in this aisle. And he said, my life was turned around last week because of Rex and Kay Pollock's testimony on a video. He said, I realized I was going the wrong direction and I wanted what they had. A life was changed. It cost Rex and Kay Pollock 11 years of their life. I know them well enough to know they would say it was worth it for one life to be changed. The reality is there will be hundreds, probably thousands who are changed because of the way they trusted Christ and are trusting Christ in the furnace. That's just one of the ways that God redeems the time in the fire. Another way he redeems it is he increases our compassion and our community. In 2 Corinthians 1.4 it says this, there is a God who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You can't give away what you've never received. But if you have ever had pain that will not go away, maybe it's an emotional pain, a loss of relationship. Maybe it's a chronic physical pain is Kay has had the experience for the last 11 years. A kind of pain that keeps you from going to sleep at night. And when you finally do fall asleep, 
the first thing that slaps you in the face rudely the next morning is that pain because it's back. If you've ever been through that kind of pain, you never look at someone else who's going through any kind of pain in the same way. You have an understanding, you have a sensitivity, you have a patience. You have been equipped to minister to that person like no one else. They can't say, you don't know what I'm going through because you do know what they're going through. And God has redeemed once again your suffering because you're able to give the same comfort that God has given to you to someone else. And your life has a deeper meaning because of the ministry that God has equipped you for by turning that which Satan meant for wrong to something that's so right. Another way that God redeems that is he gives us that community. And you guys hear us talk a lot about uh, being in life groups here. And the reason is because when you're in a life group, you put yourself in a place to see when someone else is in the furnace and to stand with them in that furnace. And you put yourself in a position so that when you go through those times, that people are close enough to you to see that and to be there for you. In the book of Job, Job has all these questions. And at the end of that book, God does not give Job answers. In fact, God says to him, even if I gave you the answer, it wouldn't take away the pain. Even if I gave you the answer, you wouldn't understand it. So what does God give Job? God gives Job himself. At the end of that book, the answer was that God showed up. And that was enough for Job. The presence of God. See, that's what salvation is all about. Is that God showed up in Jesus Christ. This is how we know that he loved us, that he showed up. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld him full of grace and truth. So Jesus is standing on the hillside and he's about to send into, ascend into heaven and he looks at his followers and he said, you know, as the Father sent me, so send I you. I need for you to show up. And when anyone in our community goes through a tough time and you show up, you are the face of God. God's there too, but many times, especially when someone's going through crisis, they need to look into a physical face that they can see. And when you come as a follower of Christ and you show up, you're that presence of God. A lot of times people come to me and say, boy, I showed up at the funeral, I showed up at the home, or I was there at the hospital. Pastor Steve, I just, I felt so inadequate. I didn't know the words to say, so I just didn't say anything. And I say, that's great. Because here's what I found when people are going through the fire, they don't need platitudes. They don't need cliches, and they don't need a sermon. They need for God to show up. And when you step into that room filled with the Holy Spirit of God and you're just there, it's called the ministry of presence. And you squeeze a hand or you hug a neck. God showed up. And part of the redemption of the fire is that he not only creates in us a compassion that is deeper and more sensitive and more intelligent, but he creates a community. 
when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire, they looked into the fire, they looked into the furnace, and they noticed that there weren't just three there. There was another one, the Son of Man. Jesus Christ himself, pre-incarnate, was there in the furnace with them. And those of you who've been in the furnace, you know that that's enough that God shows up. Another way that God redeems the fire is he gives us a deeper connection to Christ in Philippians, the third chapter, verse 10, it says this, that I might know him, this is the words of Paul, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul had a desire to be connected deeply with Christ. He said, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know that victory that comes when God's on your side. But don't miss the second part. He said, I also want to know the fellowship of his suffering. See, the closest that you'll ever be with Christ is when you go through the fire with him. Part of that is because you have a deeper sense of how he suffered for you and I. See, we want to be followers of Jesus. Well, understand he was a suffering savior. And if you follow him, it means you're going to suffer as well. And when you go through that suffering, there's a kind of intimacy that comes that you're not going to find in any other dimension of the Christian life. Because in that, you're going to have a bonding with him. But it's more than that. It's about him ministering to you in that. In Psalm 34, verse 18, it says this. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You want to get near Christ, you'll find him in the furnace. You really will. And the sweetness of his presence and the sweetness of the relationship goes deeper and deeper in the furnace. And then the final way that he redeems those tough times is that in those tough times, it prepares us for heaven. You know, whenever you lose someone to death, and they go on to the place that God has prepared. This place is a little less desirable for you. Heaven's a little sweeter. And as you grow older and you lose, begin to lose your sight, you begin to lose your hearing, begin to lose your muscle tone as this body is slowly passing away. One of the things that it does, it's a struggle no doubt, but one of the things it does is it allows us to let go of that which is imperfect so that we might begin to receive that which is perfect. In First Peter, the first chapter, in verse 4, it says, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And then in verse 6 it says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Some of you are readers, and if you are, I want to encourage you to look at two books that talk more about some of the ways that God redeems the furnace time. One is a book by Timothy Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And there's a whole lot there. Read it slowly. And then one of my favorite authors, Philip Yancey, who has written a book called The Question That Never Goes Away, Why? In that book, Philip Yancey 
says this. He says, faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. One of these days, we will stand before him and it will make sense. I know that it doesn't make sense today. There's much that we don't know, but we cling to what we do know. We do know that he is the source of all good things that we would not have life without him. We do know that the scripture has been honest and clear about the fact that in this world we will have tribulation. We do know that there is a hope because God one day will create a new heaven and a new earth. We'll no longer live in this broken, broken world. What we do know is that there are many ways that we can see in the scripture that God redeems our time of suffering and many other ways that we will not see until they make sense in reverse. Let's thank God for that. As we pray today, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. I'm going to ask you to be a little vulnerable today. I want just to ask you if you recognize where you are today that you're in a season of suffering, that you are in the furnace today, would you just let us know about that? Would you just raise your hand and, and just hold it up and just keep holding it up, would you? Just hold your hand up if you are right now in the furnace. Now just keep holding it up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give everybody permission to peek in their prayer. Just, I want you to open your eyes and I want you to notice somebody who's with you, next to you with their hand up. It may be the person you came with today. Maybe someone who's three or four people away or several aisles away. You may not know their name, but you see them and you know that they have a name. Would you just commit right now to pray for them right now? Look around. Some of you have to look around to another section to see if someone with a hand up. But I want everyone here to know that if they have a hand up, that somebody here is praying for them. All right, you can put your hand down. Let's pray together for that person that you're praying for. Do you hear me, Father? I pray for every single person who is here today in the middle of the furnace. And I thank you that you know exactly what they're going through. And that it's a shock to them, a surprise to them, but it is not a shock to you. Help them, dear Father, to know that you did not cause this. But that in allowing it, that you know something about the redemption possibility of this time of suffering that they do not yet know. And I pray that you'll help them to focus on your love and your suffering on their behalf. And I pray, dear Father, that they would walk according to your purpose, that they would re-yield themselves to you so that you can redeem this, so this suffering will not be in vain. Father, I know some of the people who raise their hands have been in the first for a long, long time. And they're tired. And I pray, dear Father, that you would lead some of us to walk into the furnace with them and get up underneath their load. That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Supernaturally to know a little bit of what they're facing and how we can be with them. Father, I thank you that whatever 
is going on in these lives is temporary. And more than that, I thank you that you will give grace for these days. We declare you as a great redeemer who has the ability to bring more good out of anything when we put it in your hand. Father, I pray that each person would put it back into your hands today. And they would allow you to be a part of this time in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.